What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada's sports betting podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, week four of the NFL, another auspicious start with a wacky Thursday nighter last night. Why no one should be proud of themselves for winning a bet on the Broncos, even if I had them over a week ago. Then it's a look at the board on Sunday and what side I'm looking at in each game, plus a look back at a more mixed results day in Major League Baseball and what to do with Game 2 of the NBA Finals. It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to The Window. I'm your host, Matt Russell, and we're going to try to keep this as tight as possible today. Not great times over at headquarters. We've got a massive flood situation at home and uh, not exactly in the mood to yak too much about the NFL. We do need to get down to business, though. That being said, uh, NFL last night, right? Like, <laughs> what What more could you possibly want from the Jets and the Broncos um, beyond, you know, a fair resolution to the game relative to the point spread? Of course, we did not get that. And, you know, I talked about how I hate the game. I hated that I had Denver minus two and a half. And the theory was, you know, that was from the look-ahead line from before this past weekend even and so you know I figured this can't get any lower blah 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 thought Denver would actually have a pretty good game against Tampa Bay and that didn't really work out and then of course it reopens at two and a half and you you know I tweeted out as well you know as much as I look at this like I think the Jets are going to be the right side and I'd love to get three and you know roll with as crazy as it sounds roll with the Jets plus three Well, that never happens. The line moves at one point all the way to like Jets minus one and a half, right? Which sort of validates my reading of the market and reading of the situation that that would be, you know, the best line that you would sort of, you know, be available essentially. Well, that all happens. The game starts. Denver gets frankly pretty lucky to get an early touchdown. Uh, and then, you know, was able to get off of it at that point, taking plus three and a half with the Jets, essentially getting a better line than even back at sort of the best case scenario, which was early on Monday or Tuesday at plus three for the Jets at minus 115. So I'm feeling pretty decent about that, right? Talked about how I teased as well the Jets up to seven. Well, you know, we don't have to get into everything that happened in the game. Obviously, complete shenanigans at the end, like how, you know, Gordon ends up breaking a run to cover the spread in a situation where they really just needed a first down. They were, you know, he was essentially stopped behind the line of scrimmage, but because the Jets can't tackle worth a bleep, uh, that goes and happens. And all of the Jets bets that were quite good, right up until essentially Pickham, right? So the line goes from two and a half straight to Pickham on, I believe it was Wednesday. And so there wasn't really a, you know, a, a two, there wasn't really a one. It was just that big move. And so if you bet the Jets at Pickham, you know, to be honest with you, you probably got what you deserved, right? Because at that point, the framework is much different 
than Jets plus three to Jets at Pickham. So, you know, if you're expecting the Jets to win a game, then that's probably on you. But the fact of the matter is they were down two with essentially, you know, clock killing time and Denver comes away with the win. And so for me, you know, listen, I got off of the two and a half because that was a bad bet. That was a bad number. But it just goes to show if I had done nothing and if I just sat on my hands the entire way, I would have won that bet with one of the worst bets that I had made all season long, right? A full three, three and a half point move. In some cases, four, four and a half if you count, you know, the Jets being plus three at minus 115 and then getting to minus one and a half. At any rate, that big of a move suggests that Denver minus two and a half was a terrible bet, right? And that's how we grade these bets. And you go, okay, well, what about the box score? Well, how about a three, a plus three turnover ratio in favor of the Jets? And they still don't cover the game. So, you know, I'm not sure what else you want, right? You're getting the box score. You're getting the last, not even just five minutes, but really the last two minutes of the game. And you know, you're getting the best of the number if you are on the Jets plus three, and none of those work out. We go 0 for 3 on the qualifications, right? The three tenets for what make a good sports bet. So really just an incredible night from that standpoint. Um, you know, very similar to Cleveland and Cincinnati from a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, you just pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and move on knowing that, you know, Played that about as well as I possibly could have, right? Read the market going in, had the right side, and it just didn't win, right? But you get the people and they're like, yeah, I bet, you know, oh, I love that Gordon touchdown. That covered the spread for me. And it's like, you know that you're admitting that you did really poorly there, right? You you do know that Denver minus two and a half was a terrible bet. Denver minus three was a terrible bet. Like, it's funny that people are willing to sort of pridefully admit that I mean, not in so many words, but they're willing to sort of, you know, brag that they got a winner in that game. And it's like, you shouldn't be, you should be really actually bummed out that you're that bad at reading the market and sort of understanding what makes a good bet and what makes a bad bet. Like if I, again, if I had not done anything else and I had won that bet at minus two and a half, you would not have heard a word from me. Like <laughs> I am and would always be ashamed of that happening. Now does, you know, we've talked about this before. Does that mean that it's going to even out? And the answer is no, because you know, if we're consistently getting the good bets in, we're not going to get those bad beats, right? We're going to be more often than not on the right side and we're going to sort of get screwed at the end way more than we're going to get some sort of lucky break at the end because we're not going to need the lucky break at the end, right? We're going to be in the correct position with five minutes to go, with three minutes to go, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to have the box score winner. We're going to have the best of the number, all of that kind of stuff is, you know, it's not going to work in our favor more often than not, or even at an even number. So you chalk that up into the bad beat category and you sort of move on with your life. We'll get into the rest of the NFL board here in a second, but of course we do have to talk about baseball yesterday. Uh, no Ohio indeed, right? Cincinnati follows up their scoreless 13 innings with nine more scoreless innings and don't score a run against a Braves team that frankly, like their pitching staff just isn't that good that they should just be not giving up a run at any point in time. That was frustrating. Uh, t cap tip to Clayton Kershaw for 
pitching really an outstanding game against the Brewers. Uh, Brandon Woodruff looked really good to start that one, and it felt like this was going to be kind of that coin flip, 0-0 into the eighth type of a game. Uh, but then a couple of runs after, you know, essentially... I don't know if an error or a misplay essentially uh, kept an inning alive for the Dodgers, and you just can't do that. You cannot give the Dodgers four outs in an inning. It's just never going to work out in your favor. Um, didn't play the game, but the Cardinals Padres game was an absolute thrill ride across the board. It was sort of the reverse. Uh, type of a game than the White Sox and the A's that fortunately, you know, with the loss on the Reds and the loss on the Brewers was made up for with Oakland finishing off that series. And boy, was that a stressful marathon of a game. The White Sox are changing pitchers every five seconds. That being said, we end up getting there right with the synthetic series price after the White Sox won the first game. We bet the A's to get the, basically the second and third game. Uh, so that was sort of our big winner when it comes to, you know, the baseball stuff. Uh, postponed game today goes uh, Cubs and the Marlins. You know, we've got series price here at plus 180. Uh, we've got a little money in our pocket from the Alcantara win in game one. Darvish today, I'm not betting this game. I'm hoping obviously the Marlins can get it done and get out of here but if they don't i think that is going to create an, a value opportunity on saturday for game three taking the marlins and lopez i will probably be plus money against i believe john lester who you know i think is on his last legs so to speak here so um you know wait and see today if there's a game three uh, all over it for the marlins in that one uh padres and cardinals i you just can't I, you can't bet this game i don't know who's going to pitch for the padres you know how they're going to end up attempting to get 27 outs maybe they never do uh and you know the cardinals saving flarity for that final game turns out to be the right decision and they have a significant advantage and i'm not seeing a line just yet in this one um sort of across the board you know you can kind of dig deep and there's some like minus 200 type stuff for st louis and honestly like i can't really blame blame the faraway places for kind of making that an early line given the uncertainty with the padres pitching staff so essentially no plays in baseball today um obviously i'm going to be hoping that the padres can pull it off because of the much talked about national league pennant futures and frankly i just think it'd be a better series against the dodgers even with the fact that the padres essentially half their starting rotation is out so um you know kind of a long shot there of course uh but i think that's a little bit more interesting than watching this cardinals team play baseball um all right as for the nfl let's go up and down the board again real quick here uh because it's kind of chaos over here right now uh, Cardinals and Panthers. I don't really understand the number moving down to three here. I do like the spot for the Cardinals. This has sort of talking me out of it based on the line move written all over it here, right? DeAndre Hopkins questionable. And of course, maybe that has something to do with it. And we'll sort of see over the weekend if he goes and the line shoots back up to, you know, in and around four, that's going to make me feel at least a little bit better about all of this. Um, but for me, I'm, I'm, I'm going, I'm taking the Cardinals minus the three here and just kind of hoping for the best. I, I, you know, I can't imagine this line drops any further than that or, or understand why it would, if it does, uh, Baltimore and the Washington football team, 
This thing's up to 14 right now. Uh, the chance to get it at 12.5 or 13 seems to be long gone. Uh, this can't really be a play then at this point at 14 for the Ravens. And I'm certainly not betting the Washington football team. Uh, Cleveland and Dallas. I love the underdog in this one. Dallas uh, is so suspect defensively and the Browns are sort of sneaky getting it together now they've played two of the worst teams in the league of course the last two weeks but at least that's something and if you see some of these other teams that are supposed to be in the you know mediocre middle of the NFL they're tripping up against some of these lower echelon teams and the Browns at least haven't so far. Uh, this one's got shootout written all over it. Obviously, the 56-point total indicates that. And so, you know, kind of in general, I'm going to be looking to grab as many points as I can with a lot of these games, really almost for the rest of the season at this point, right? Like at beyond sort of the top two or three teams facing the top, you know, the bottom two or three teams, like what's the reason to lay points, you know, in each individual game, you know, it, at times there will be individual reasons to lay the points. This isn't sort of a blanket grab the points every single game, right? Take the underdog in every single game. But, you know, when we're talking about sort of neutral-ish territory, how many teams are good offensively but bad defensively? And just in general, where overs are going with the high-scoring nature of all of these games, it just it always feels like the back door is possible. It always feels like teams aren't necessarily running out the score. They could score late, you know, to, you know, just to kind of keep things going, which of course is going to give an opportunity for the other team to score, right? Like it doesn't feel like we're getting five minute drives to end games anymore, right? There seems to be something that's happening in each one that is, you know, just kind of drawing these games closer and closer. So for me, Cleveland, um, you know, I'll be shooting sort of for plus five. I'm really starting to think plus five at this point, you know, is, is a key number more than four is just with all the two point conversions uh, in the modern day NFL. Uh, Colts and the Bears here. Again, I think this one is just a tease piece. This will definitely be in the teaser bucket at, you know, plus two and a half going up to plus eight and a half. And I would take this at three for the Bears. But if it's just not going to get there, it's just not going to get there. And sort of, I think the best move is maybe just grabbing the money line if you really feel like you need to bet a side here without any other action. But for me, I think this is a tease piece at plus eight and a half in its sort of its best form. Uh, Jacksonville plus three against Cincinnati. I'll be playing that. Again, we, are, we saw sort of the worst of Jacksonville on prime time, but if any of their previous games were on prime time instead of sort of buried in the one o'clock window on Sunday, you get a little bit better of an interpretation or perception of this Jaguars team, right? And of course, everybody's all about the Bengals. But again, these have all been underdog prices, right? And we always sort of talk about the contextual difference between being an underdog and being a favorite, needing to not just win, but cover a number. And yeah, you're saying, oh, it's just a small number. It's just three. But again, in the NFL these days, where numbers and, and the score differentials get so janky off of three and seven so easily that you know, plus three, obviously still a key number should this game go to overtime or be tied late or something along those lines. But the jankiness potential of all of these games is such that like it could very well land on one or two. And really that's the case for the Bears as well. It's just, I would like to get the plus three in full um, in both 
cases. Chargers and Buccaneers is interesting, right? This has come down off of seven and a half to seven to six and a half. So the market is sort of seeing this the way I do, where it's essentially grab the Chargers or essentially the underdog in any game that the Chargers are playing, right? They are good enough to hang with the Kansas City Chiefs. They're good enough to have a lead against the Kansas City Chiefs. They are bad enough at times to you know, to lose, frankly, to the Carolina Panthers. Now, they ended up almost pulling that game out last week, but still, for much of that game, it looked like Carolina was the better team, right? But the week before, for much of that game, it looked like the Chargers were better than the Chiefs. And so this is the most up-and-down team, you know, in the NFL and has been for quite some time. And it turns out it's not just related to the quarterback. So this move off of seven here to me indicates that the Chargers are the right side here. Um, I'd be hoping to come back and grab this plus seven on Sunday. But I think the th Thursday, Friday move here is really interesting from that standpoint. Uh, Minnesota and Houston. This one's kind of bopped back and forth from three and a half to four and a half back to three and a half here. And I know I've heard a lot of people making a case for the Vikings talking about sort of their run you know, their ability to run and their run yardage and all of that kind of stuff, yards per carry and yards per game and all of that kind of stuff. To me, this is just Texans getting that breath of fresh air against a team that isn't nearly as good as the three teams that the Texans have played up until this point. And so I, this is the reason for me to lay points here. I think you're going to get the best Deshaun Watson you're going to possibly really ever get against a pretty bad Vikings defense, a pretty bad Vikings secondary, and a Vikings defensive line that isn't creating much pressure in any way, shape, or form. Saints and the Lions. I'm going with the Lions here at plus four and a half. There's more fours than there are four and a halves right now, but I, you know, I'm quite sure that that'll get to four and a half by Sunday, or I should say back two, if not even higher. For me, if you just switch the uniforms on these teams, I'm not really sure until I see something from the Saints defense, I'm not really sure what the difference is between these two teams, right? Like Matthew Stafford can get the ball out just as well, if not better than Drew Brees. Sure, Michael Thomas may be back, but Kenny Galladay, I think, is you know right there as far as top wide receivers in the game, even if he's not sort of considered that just yet. And I really like the way the Lions offense now works with him back in the lineup and from a defensive standpoint again if the saints aren't going to be very good on defense and there's nothing this season that we've seen that would make us think that they are how are they any better than the lions defense at this point as they continue to get a little bit healthier and we're able to do a pretty good job against kyler murray who at this point you know a lot of times you know when you factor in obviously the run game is a lot more dangerous than drew Brees at this point right like Kyler Murray is keeping more people awake at night than Drew Brees is when it comes to that. Uh, Seattle and Miami, another game I love the underdog in this one, Miami. And this is, again, a number that's come off of seven, six and a half, and is down to six. And I think the market is starting to realize that the Dolphins are going to be able to move the ball relatively easily against the Seahawks, that this will be a shootout, right? Of course, we know this 54-point total uh, would indicate that. And, you know, if they need to, it does feel like the Dolphins could get in the back door, but I'm not sure they need to. And to be honest with you, the Dolphins, along with the Chargers, are going to be in the underdog money line teaser bucket for me this week as teams that I think have a chance, of course, to win the game. The Giants and the Rams here, massive point spread is by and large a stay away. I mean, I suppose at gunpoint, I would lean to the Giants plus the 13, uh, but, you know, 
until further notice, nobody's holding a gun to my head and making me make that pick. Uh, Bills and Raiders here. I think there's sort of a lot of sharp indication and people talking like the Raiders might be the right side here. I just think people aren't buying into the Bills the way they need to be. And I may end up being wrong here and we might have John Gruden, you know, half mask on, running across the field, you know, doing his whole his whole bit on this this weekend. I just think that the Bills are a team that's a, you know, in that group of the top 10 in the NFL that if this was a different, you know, if they'd had different jersey, different helmets on, right? If they had Patriots uniforms on, if they had, you know, well, let's use Saints right? Like, I don't know that the Bills are any worse than the Saints are. And we had Saints minus five and a half minus six just two weeks ago. And admittedly, that went down <laughs> in flames. But there isn't really for me, I, I can't see a letdown necessarily happening for the Bills. I think that game last week, you know, scared them straight, so to speak, more than, you know, would have sort of had them flying high, right? Like, I'm sure uh, tape this week, the tape room watching that over wasn't exactly a pleasurable experience for the Bills. And so at minus three, I, st I still think that number's a little bit short for a team that I like against a team that I still don't really like. And that, you know, as of this recording, is still pretty banged up. Uh, Patriots and the Chiefs, and this one is, you gotta take a big deep breath, and apparently the market's doing that because this one, like, say, the Seahawks and the Dolphins and the Buccaneers and the Chargers, is off of the seven and has come down to six and a half, meaning the money has come in on the Patriots. Now, listen, it doesn't take much for people to want to back Bill Belichick. So, you know, I'm not all that surprised from that standpoint, but a lot of people are going to be using the same logic, right? Patrick Mahomes under a touchdown, you know, it's not quite the same thing as Patrick Mahomes getting three and a half points, but that kind of logic is probably going to fuel this to move back up to seven, at which point, if you can hold your nose, I think seven's probably the right side with the Patriots. Uh, Eagles and 49ers here. I still need to know who the quarterback is. I talked at length um, on the On Blast podcast network with Sheldon Alexander about sort of when it makes a difference who the quarterback is for San Francisco. So check out that conversation. I'm not going to rehash that here. But in this case... When you're giving this many points, in this case, it's now seven. I grabbed San Francisco minus six. So from a full disclosure standpoint, that's where I grabbed it. I assume the line has moved up because there's an expectation that Jimmy Garoppolo will be back. But I still haven't really seen anything of that indication, which to me means you're getting seven points going against Mullins here. And now I'm starting to talk myself into Philly, which is hilarious because of how much I dislike Philly at this point. So I'm probably just going to let that minus six ride with San Francisco, barring any kind of you know new information when it comes to injuries. Now, of course, Philly is always banged up, and they are again this week. So that might be the issue there. So I'm probably just good with my minus six and kind of chugging along with that. Um, so, you know, not a ton to say really about that game. Um, as for Monday, worth kind of talking about. Normally, I kind of save it for Monday, but Atlanta plus the seven and a half is probably going to be a contest play for me this week. So I've got another day to make that decision, but the numbers move down to seven, which is a nice indication from a market standpoint. I think people are seeing what I'm seeing here. It's that this is a team that can move the ball, that can go score for score with the Packers, that might even take, I don't know, a 15 point lead, which they're known to do, and they might even blow that lead. At which point we are still okay with plus seven or seven and a half 
with the Falcons. So not really all that complicated. Obviously, some injury issues with the Packers wide receivers, right? The Alan Lazard injury is kind of a surprise, obviously, from that standpoint. And so, you know, we'll get a little bit more deeper into that on Monday, potentially. Um, but just worth mentioning that, listen, if this thing keeps going and kind of passes through six and a half, it's just, you know, sort of a need to know basis that you need to know that I'm already on the Falcons. And frankly, I'm already on the Falcons at plus seven and a half from earlier this week, um, which, you know, again, we talked about on Monday, looking ahead at the board for this week. So that shouldn't come as a big surprise. Uh, NBA finals tonight. Obviously, you know, with the injuries, things have gotten pretty squirrely when it comes to this point spread, right? I fully expect Dragic and Adebayo to be out of the game. And this thing's moved up to 10, right? So four and a half earlier, 10. Is that an overreaction? The answer is probably, yeah. Yeah, probably is an overreaction, right? But do I want to be laying the 10 at this point where, you know, the Lakers are sort of tasting blood, so to speak. Um, I don't, I don't really want to be on either side. Where I do think this might come into effect is with the under. So at under 216 and a half, I will play that for a unit because while, you know, I think Dragic and Adebayo are, you know, going to hinder the Heat's chances of winning the game, obviously, they might not be a defensive uh, you know, affect, right? Like they, their replacements, you know, maybe less with Adebayo, but certainly in some cases with Dragic might actually work better in their favor defensively, even if it just means being bigger against the Lakers. And so, you know, the Heat's best chance here, I think, obviously, is to try to keep this as low scoring as possible. And the Lakers don't exactly play at a huge pace and they got pretty fortunate from the three-point line. And so if we get some regression from three from the Lakers and this just is played at a more slower junky type of a pace I think under 216 and a half is certainly good even if it's a Lakers blowout I think that's pretty good right because they could easily get to 120 and you know have this be like 120 to 90 type of thing and I'm talking like massive blow I don't see it being that high of a blow even last week excuse me last game that wasn't the case, right? Like there was still, I think it ended up being a 14 or a 15 point game after all of the junk time stuff that happened. And even when you factor in sort of the garbage time, right? Like if the Heat are now garbage timing even further down their bench, they're less likely to hit shots late in the game to kind of push this over as well. So the official play in this one, under 216 and a half. The case for the Heat plus 10 is obviously the over adjustment to the line and the fact that players always sort of rally in that first game back after their, you know, star player, or in this case, two high quality players get knocked out, right? So that you're going to get the Heat's best effort I'm just not sure that that's necessarily going to be enough. And so that best effort, I think, translates defensively and under 216 and a half. Um, I'll run through the props later on this afternoon if there's anything to post. Um, you could even just take a shot with everything that I did in game one, uh, obviously beyond the Adebayo stuff. Um, you know, does the sort of chemistry out there change with regards to like maybe Anthony Davis gets more rebounds or LeBron scores more? Like, I'm not really sure. Um, obviously some of these numbers may have changed as well, right? You're going to bump up LeBron's assist and rebounds numbers. I kind of see that already happening in the market. So, uh, probably fewer and further between, which again, whether it's hockey or the NBA, 
jumping on sort of as much stuff as you possibly can in game one is the best strategy because that's the chance you have to beat the market. And in this case, right, the market's adjusted. So we're just kind of doing whatever we can here. The one note I have is LeBron's MVP numbers over, I saw Bet365 and there was even one other one might've been... Ooh, I forget which one, but uh, one of Sports Interaction, Cool Bet, Pinnacle, had him at like minus 165 by 365, but minus 150. Um, I jumped and threw another unit on that because that number is just too low because I think we've taken out of the equation. You know, while Anthony Davis still has very much of a chance to win this MVP, we've taken out of the equation the Heat, <laughs> essentially all of the Heat players, right? Like there's virtually no chance now that any of those Heat players are going to win the MVP. And so when you take all of that out, you know, you can adjust Anthony Davis up, but to not adjust LeBron at all, like to me, he should be in the minus 200, minus 300 type zone. So anything under minus 200, I think at this point is quite a bit of a steal, especially when you compare it to his series price. And you know, where that is right now, where it's like anywhere from seeing like minus 10,000s in some place, but more sort of realistically in the sort of, you know, one to 20 minus two, you know, 22,000 and, and so on and so forth. So um, yeah, like if you're still willing to, you know, to have a sweat here for the next three games, and it's a sort of Lakers centric one, I think that's just grabbing LeBron here. Uh, and sort of riding that narrative that there's sort of a better chance that if everything is equal, right, if they just the identical game happened from game one, I still think LeBron wins that MVP, even if Anthony Davis ends up being sort of the top scorer. I think that's going to matter less and less than it ever has before, especially if this thing turns into a sweep or a five-game series, which for all for all intents and purposes, it does kind of look like that's going to be the situation. So uh, that's the situation for game two. If something changes, there's ads for either props in game two or, of course, game three on Sunday. I'll add that out on Twitter at MRussAuthentic, M-R-U-S-S-A-U-T-H-E-N-T-I-C. Uh, baseball stuff, right? Just broke that down for you. We're going to have, of course, division series start on Monday. The college football stuff will be out on Twitter. Um, talked about that yesterday, kind of running up and down the board. A um, couple of tweaks on that. So look out for the plays specifically uh, Saturday morning when it comes to that. Uh, and then uh, that's it. And then, of course, Sunday, right? The big podcast. Shouldn't say big because it's not even all that long. But the sort of definitive Circa Survivor. What's our play? Circa Million. What are our five picks against the spread? Who does everybody else have? Like, what are the most popular plays? How do I feel about those plays? Last week, they ended up doing pretty poorly, which was nice because our three and two record um, looked a lot better relative to kind of what everybody else was doing so we're still in a decent spot when it comes to that um, at 10 4 and 1 and then anything that kind of pops up uh, over the course of saturday and early sunday morning with line moves and injuries and anything that goes on uh, with all of that stuff Thanks for listening. Hopefully you've subscribed, but do me a favor, throw a rating in. And if you have two seconds, a review of the podcast, it helps others find it so that we can all keep cashing tickets together until next time. I'll see you at the window.